Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is an apostrophe podcast production. We regret to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. I kept auditioning with no savings and no money, credit card debt gaining interest, and on unemployment. Chrissy Metz. Chrissy Metz says her earliest memory is crystal clear. Metz was born in Homestead, Florida, but her father was in the Navy. And when she was very young, he was deployed to a naval base in Japan. So the family picked up and moved across the world. There, her parents would often throw cocktail parties. They'd invite her father's Navy friends over to the house, toss on a Doobie Brothers record, and host sing-alongs. She says her father was charming, a born entertainer. And she wanted nothing more than to be part of the show. The youngest of three at the time, Metz would fight sleep for hours, desperate to keep up with her siblings and avoid missing out on the fun. But soon, her heavy eyelids would win, and she'd doze off to a lullaby of clinking ice and china grove. But Metz's next memory is a little less nostalgic. 
Just a couple years later, her mother sat her down with some serious news. She and her father were separating. Gone were the cocktail parties, the Doobie Brothers, and the laughter. Now, her mother, herself, and her siblings were moving far away, back to Florida. The day her parents' divorce was finalized, her father remarried, and Metz wouldn't see him again for 13 years. As Metz got a little older, she found herself searching for opportunities to entertain, gathering her friends for her own brand of sing-along. She'd throw on the Little Mermaid, Grease, or Annie, then assign each little girl perched around the television set a role. Of course, everyone wanted to be Ariel, Annie, or Sandy. But as Metz explains in her memoir, This Is Me, she never really felt like any of those characters, because she didn't look like them. Metz describes her younger self as the chubby one of the friend group. She always knew she looked different, but it wasn't a problem until people around her told her it was. Her size was easy fodder for school bullies, and so began what would become a lifelong battle to fit in. Metz heard the cool kids were in the school band, so she marched over to the music room to sign up. There was just one problem. Renting an instrument for the school year cost money, money her now single mother of three couldn't spare. So Metz was stuck with whatever instrument was left on the shelf after all the other kids took their picks. The baritone sax. To say the least, it was heavy. And one day, as she lugged her horn to practice, she heard something. It was not the grating chaos of a teenaged brass section. It was the sound of two singers harmonizing in the nearby choir room. And the most beautiful thing she'd ever heard. All she wanted to do was sing along. So, she says she put down her baritone and found her voice. Over the years, Metz spent a lot of time alone. Her mother took a job at a local supermarket where she worked nights, and Metz's siblings took part in after-school activities. So Metz would often come home to an empty apartment. Then one day, she walked up the steps to find a red notice on the door. She didn't know what it meant, but she did know that when she walked inside and flicked on the light switch, the lights didn't come on. And it wouldn't be the last time. Eventually, the family lost their apartment and were forced to move into a trailer, a single wide with three small bedrooms and a bathroom. Sometimes her mother would go without dinner to make sure there was enough for her children to eat. Metz says her mother was selfless in that way, but eventually the burden of the family became too heavy to bear. And that's when her mom met Trigger. Trigger was the name of Roy Rogers' horse and the childhood nickname of Met's mom's new boyfriend. Met's siblings, being a few years older than she was, eventually moved out to live on their own. So when Trigger came along, Metz and her mother moved into his house. And while at first it seemed like a fresh start and an escape from the cramped walls of their single wide, 
it would quickly become, for Chrissy Metz, a living nightmare. Trigger was very triggered by Metz's size. In fact, as she details in her memoir, he never missed an opportunity to tell her she was overweight. He began by calling her names. Then he made jokes about putting locks on the refrigerator door. He mandated weigh-ins before promptly recoiling at the number that flashed on the scale. He started monitoring her food intake. Then, when she didn't lose the weight he wanted her to lose, he began beating her. Between the teasing at school and the abuse at home, Metz had no safe haven. When no one was looking, she'd take her meals into her bedroom. It was behind that same door that she'd practice her choir songs. She says food was her only happiness, and singing was her only escape. Metz says she was known around school as the big girl, but that wasn't exactly the type of attention she was hoping for. She noticed if she made a joke or did an impression, her classmates would giggle, and she basked in the sound. So Metz became the class clown. Maybe, just maybe, funny girl could eclipse big girl. One day, she even tested the waters by bringing her new comedy chops home. She performed a bit for her mother and Trigger, and for the first time, Trigger cracked a smile. That single moment scaffolded years' worth of eroded self-esteem and awakened something deep inside. Metz became a master of impressions. She says in her memoir, to make others believe she was another person entirely, that's what she wanted to do. Maybe because reality was too hard on a fifth grader. Metz started spending more and more time at friends' houses. Her mother and stepfather's relationship was too volatile to be around. And when things went particularly off the rails, she, the unwelcome stepchild, would be blamed. So by high school, she took a part-time job at McDonald's. It got her out of the house after school and on weekends. Her role was working the drive through window. She said often her wealthy classmates would roll up in their parents' Mercedes to quite the sight. Metz wearing a headset and golden arches polo smelling vaguely of canola oil. But when strangers pulled up, Metz used the 11-second interaction to her advantage. She'd put on a Cockney accent or do strange character voices, practicing her impressions. What did she care? She'd never see them again. She decided she'd be the female Jim Carrey, and her manager encouraged her. She said, positive reinforcement. Imagine that. On evenings, Metz wasn't perplexing, unsuspecting McDonald's customers. She was putting in extra hours with her choir teacher. She says she doesn't know if said teacher believed in her or just pitied her. But either way, she got Metz into a week-long choir camp at the University of Florida and even secured a scholarship. Metz says she arrived at the camp intimidated, then quickly became even more intimidated when she realized the other kids at orientation could not only play multiple instruments, 
but sight-read sheet music. There were even classes dedicated solely to scatting. She says she wasn't good enough to be there, but she was happy to be in the presence of artists. Maybe she'd absorb some of their talent by osmosis. She could tell the violinists, drummers, and singers around her were the odd ones out at all of their high schools. But she understood they were going places. Not in spite of that fact, but because of it. And Metz says for the first time, she realized something she'd been telling herself all these years. That she'd amount to nothing. That she'd have such a limited life. She was quirky. Her family couldn't afford to send her to Juilliard. She didn't know anyone in the film industry. And she didn't look like Sandy Olson. In fact, she says she felt like she was too much to look at. But if these other quirky kids could do it, maybe she could too. With that newfound confidence, Metz decided to attempt something she'd always been too afraid to do. She auditioned for her high school's chamber choir. Only the school's best singers got in. So she took a deep breath and sang her heart out. And not only did Metz get in, by her final year, she was given a solo. Looking back on her high school career, she wished she'd gone after the theater club or auditioned for plays. But the truth was, she'd spent those years hiding in the shadows. Just before her 18th birthday was Met's graduation, and she decided to send her estranged father an invitation. It came back, returned to sender. One day after high school, Metz was driving around Gainesville with her half-sister when they turned on the radio. Between songs, the DJ announced there was a local talent search taking place at the Gainesville Holiday Inn. Talent was a vague term, and Metz was 99% sure it was a scam. But her sister really wanted to go. She begged. So Metz caved. If anything, she'd just provide moral support and transportation. So the pair made their way to the hotel and found the sign-up table. Metz started filling out the forms for her little sister, when a voice from across the table said, I remember you. It was a woman who'd once taught at Metz High School. Metz didn't really remember her, but she said a quick hello. The woman asked if she was there to audition. Metz gave her the lowdown that she was a chaperone-slash-form-filler-outer for the day. And that's when the woman said, You're here for a reason. You should audition. Metz said in her book that this interaction was random, but that the woman's words were said with such authority, she believed her. So she grabbed a form for herself. As she sat down and tried to rationalize what had just happened, another voice piped up from behind her. A woman Metz described as fiery red from her hair to her personality. She looked Metz in the eyes and said, Who are you? What do you do? Metz sheepishly explained she was there with her sister. The woman then asked, nay, demanded to know if Metz sang. She started mumbling a story about how she wants to sing, but she isn't sure if she's any good. And the woman cut her off. She said, sing something for me. 
Oh, man. Metz took a deep breath, then started singing Reflection from the Disney film Mulan, a song about not being seen for who you really are. The woman cut Metz off again. This time, she said, Okay, I'll be in contact with you before we leave Gainesville. And she walked away. Turns out, that woman was the head of the talent search, and a woman of her word. The very next day, she gave Metz a call. The take-no-prisoner's voice on the line told Chrissy Metz she just landed herself a manager for singing and acting. Metz couldn't believe it. She hadn't even intended to audition. She didn't even formally audition, she didn't think. She barely even went inside the doors. But there was more. Her new manager had six other clients, and with pilot season coming up in Hollywood, she was sending all seven of her girls out to Los Angeles. So Metz threw herself a karaoke-themed going-away party. She told her mother and stepfather she was going to live out her dream. She packed up her Ford Focus and pulled out the map. She said every mile took her farther from where she'd been and closer to who she wanted to be. Away from Trigger and his scale, away from her high school bullies, away from the trauma that had consumed her for years. She couldn't wait to start over. When she arrived in Los Angeles, Metz and the six other interstate ingenues were put up in a two-bedroom apartment in Burbank. They slept on air mattresses, three to a room. Their manager took the living room. The girls were connected with agents. Metz says the difference between a manager and an agent is a manager nurtures your career. An agent procures the auditions. Think big picture, little picture. The plan was to go on auditions all day, read lines at night, play a game or two of Uno, rinse and repeat. They survived solely on Subway sandwiches and wide-eyed optimism. The apartment complex where they were put up was chock full of actors. So once in a while, Metz noticed scripts dropped off at the doors of other tenants. And she thought, one day, a script will be sent to her. But as the weeks passed, not only was she not getting scripts, she wasn't getting auditions. She had a manager and an agent already, a huge leg up. And yet, through the entirety of that year's pilot season, she managed to land just two auditions, and she didn't get either part. What she quickly picked up on was that there weren't many roles available for women of her body type. Unless, of course, the character's body type was the butt of the joke. Metz says she cried. A lot. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Pilot season came and went. And if Metz wanted to stay in L.A., she needed to start earning money. Turns out, her agent was in need of an assistant. So, at the advice of her manager, she took the job. It was steady income, enough to cover her rent and gas money. But there was one major problem. She says watching clients book acting jobs all day was like watching your boyfriend take another woman out to dinner every night. It was torture. But she put her head down and decided to commit herself fully to making her clients' dreams come true. And soon, Metz and her agent became the highest-grossing department at their firm. So Metz decided to quit being an agent's assistant and become an agent herself. She scouted talent at acting classes, showcases, and auditions. She talked to actors and casting agents all day, learning the ins and outs of the business firsthand and she dedicated herself to spotting unexpected talent. She says any agent can market the easy sell. She wanted to give the underdog a chance. But as Metz rose in the ranks at her acting agency, her acting career took a backseat. Metz says it was much easier to say her acting career was never going to happen than it was to actually try and fail miserably. She couldn't land auditions. And if she did, she'd find herself in the waiting room with the same few plus-sized actresses. She says being overweight in Hollywood was like being a lefty living in a righty world. The system wasn't built to accept her. Three years went by without landing a role, then four, then five. In 2005, she landed one episode of Entourage, a small win. 
But another year passed of straight rejection. Then another. Then one day, she heard about a different kind of audition. American Idol was holding an open call for their 2007 season. Twelve thousand people made their way to the Chargers Stadium in San Diego that day in hopes of becoming the next American Idol. For eight hours, Metz stood in line in the California sun before her number was called and she was ushered into a series of tents where the judges sat, all shaded and cool. Each contestant had 30 seconds to impress one judge, and if they succeeded, they'd be handed a coveted yellow piece of paper that would advance them to the next round. So Metz sang, heavy from Dreamgirls. But as her 30 seconds came to an end, the judge standing before her simply said, Okay. Then he muttered a speech about how this year, American Idol was looking for next-level talent. And he just didn't think Mets had next-level talent. Thanks for coming down here. But that's when Mets straightened her shoulders, looked him in the eye, and said, I think you're wrong. In that moment, it seemed like 12,000 heads suddenly turned in her direction. The judge in question was gobsmacked. And it was then that another judge from a nearby tent called Metz over. She told her to sing her song one more time. So she did. That judge thought she had a beautiful voice. And 30 seconds later, she was handed a yellow piece of paper, her golden ticket. She'd be one of only 250 people to advance. The next round was a little closer to home, in Los Angeles. She walked into a banquet hall full of interesting characters. People in bikinis, clown makeup, anything to stand out. When her number was called, she stepped into the audition room to find two male judges and 30 crew members staring at her. One of the judges said, So you're a talent agent. Then you must know what talent is. Metz agreed then proceeded to belt out the first note of her dream girl's go-to tune. But no more than five seconds in, one of the judges told her to halt right there. He said, I thought you were supposed to know what talent was. Then the other piped up and said, I don't know that I like the sound of your voice. Metz exhaled. She thanked them for the opportunity and walked straight out of the banquet hall. She said in that moment, she wasn't going to give the cameras a reaction. She didn't feel the fire inside to fight for it again. Because American Idol wasn't her ultimate dream. She really wanted to be an actor. But still, the only problem was, her acting career was DOA. By this point, Metz had been a talent agent for nine years. One evening, she found herself at a traffic light, and she couldn't help but think. She'd spent her days helping clients start their dream careers, championing them from the sidelines and agonizing over their needs, all the while neglecting her own. And she was miserable. She'd landed a few bit parts, 
for the most part one-off roles that objectified or caricaturized her body. An uncredited role in The Onion Movie, where she played, quote, heavy girl. An episode of My Name is Earl, where her character was named Chunk. A single episode of an ABC drama called Huge. Metz turned 30 and promptly had a panic attack. She says in her memoir, there was only one role in Hollywood for a plus-sized woman per year, which meant that was her yearly audition. There wasn't even much opportunity to get rejected because she so rarely made it into the audition room. So she decided to meet with a life coach. Now, Metz says the funny thing about life coaches is that when you need them most in your life, you probably can't afford them. So she saved up for one session. At her single session with a Los Angeles life coach who had no doubt spoken to many a struggling actor, the coach asked her one poignant question. She said, what are you doing to be ready for an opportunity when it comes? And the answer was, not much. She was working long hours and commuting in L.A. traffic on either end of those long hours. Being an agent was a 24-7 gig. She was on call for her clients at all times. So she decided to take a small step back from her job and invest more time into her own career. She signed up for cheap acting classes and voice lessons, and they reminded her of how much she loved performing. She started coming back to her joy, inching back to herself. Then one night, while reviewing client contracts late at the office, she got a text from a friend. That friend heard that writer-producer-director Ryan Murphy was looking to cast a role that would be perfect for Mets in American Horror Story. Met says she was never in a million years going to land American Horror Story. But word on the street was they were looking to cast an overweight character who was unashamed of her body, but struggling to fit in. Metz knew the audition scene took place in the 50s, so she put on a halter dress and matching headband and made her way to the casting office. Of course, seated in the waiting room were all the usual suspects, the handful of plus-sized actresses she'd sort of gotten to know over the years. But they were all in modern clothes. She felt embarrassed. When it was Met's turn, the first question the casting director asked her was how much she weighed. She told them, then proceeded to deliver her lines. They asked her to do it again, a slightly different way, so she did. Then they gave her a couple notes and asked her to try once more, so she did. A few more notes on her delivery, so she did it again. Then they thanked her for coming in. But as she walked out the door, they called her back in. Could you try it one more way? Metz was an agent. She knew industry folk didn't waste their precious time unless they were interested. Performing her lines a fifth time was actually a good sign. 
she did it again. Then, when her audition was over, she rushed back to the office. She'd already taken up more than her lunch hour. Two days later, Metz got a call from her agent. He told her the casting people liked her for the role. She said, Okay, what does that mean? Well, it meant they hadn't decided yet, but she was a frontrunner. Another few days after that, she got another phone call. Ryan Murphy had reviewed the tapes, and the job was hers. But here was the best part. She wasn't just hired for a single episode. It would be a five-episode arc. Metz said it was so good, she kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. She'd get to act with Jessica Lang and Kathy Bates. So she put in for a leave of absence at her agency. She was terrified, but all in. Metz says being on five episodes of a major television show made it all real for her mother. She could see her daughter right in front of her on the television set, and that was validating. This was it, her big break that would set the stage for the rest of her career. But when her arc came to an end, she says the phone didn't ring. She couldn't believe it. She had this great opportunity on this high-profile series, and yet she was still a complete and total nobody. She was burnt out and, frankly, done. She called her mom and told her she was moving back home for good. But her mom said, You could be miserable in Florida, not pursuing your dreams. Or you could be miserable in L.A., pursuing what you want to do. Fair point. But an entire year went by of nothing. No auditions, no parts, and no money. Her credit card bills were gaining interest. Her savings account said zero dollars. She lost her apartment, crashing on friends' couches. Friends, kind enough to let her take over their space, run lines with her, and even cook her meals while she made a go of this seemingly impenetrable business. She went on unemployment. She needed new headshots, so she took out a loan. Her 35th birthday came and went. Then an interesting audition crossed her agent's desk. Metz was passed along a script for an audition. And the moment she read the character description... She said the birds became birdier, the sky became bluer, and she felt like something was different. The character was a woman turning 36 years old, struggling with her weight but not defined by it, dating, working as an assistant who feels like she's living in the shadows with a backburner love and talent of singing. It was almost unbelievable. So she jumped in the car, merged onto the 405, and started rehearsing. And, if she does say so herself, she nailed her freeway audition. When she arrived at the casting office, she was, once again, greeted by a room of her archenemies. A.K.A. her fellow plus-sized actresses, she said, were truly lovely humans. She performed her lines for the casting director. But a couple times, he redirected her and she lost her confidence. The steering wheel hadn't given her any notes on the way over. She must have blown it. 
She walked out of the room thinking, that was the worst audition I've ever done in my entire life. For the job she wanted most. She called her agent from the parking lot to tell him she botched it. But when she got home, she pulled out a pen and paper. Metz wrote a letter to the casting director, detailing the uncanny ways she embodied the character already. Not just physically, but emotionally. Just like the character, she had been so broken she'd almost given up many, many times. She said, this is me. Metz thanked them for the opportunity, sent the letter to her agent to pass along, and she waited. It came down to Metz and one other actress. The other actors who had already been cast had impressive resumes. Metz felt inferior. She had nothing of note on her CV. She also had 81 cents in her bank account. Not enough to drive to one more audition. You needed at least $20 to pre-authorize your card at the gas pump. She said if she didn't land this one, she'd take it as a clear sign from the universe. She was finished. But that's when her phone rang. It was an unknown number. At first, Metz thought maybe the number was a debt collector. She didn't want to answer. But for some reason, she did. It was the series creator, Dan Fogelman. He said, I just wanted to tell you, you're our girl. Chrissy Metz was cast in the brand new NBC series, This Is Us. She was not a day player. She was not given a five-episode arc. She was a lead. Metz would play Kate Pearson, one of three siblings in the dramatic series navigating the never-ending fallout of their father's unexpected death. The trailer earned 80 million impressions in just 12 days. And on September 20th, 2016, This Is Us premiered. Season 1 brought in 14 million viewers per episode, so NBC renewed the series for a second season, then a third, with Mets appearing in every single episode. 106, to be exact, for six straight seasons, including several episodes where she sang. Her co-stars included Mandy Moore, Milo Ventimiglia, Sterling K. Brown, and Justin Hartley. A cast that, together with a writing team the New York Times described as regularly beating up its viewers with a pillow soaked in tears, would earn four Emmys with 39 nominations and an impressive 94% score on Rotten Tomatoes. This Is Us became a cultural phenomenon. And Chrissy Metz, the actress tormented by her stepfather, by her classmates, rejected not only for parts, but auditions, called untalented by American Idol and pigeonholed into roles that cast her as the butt of the joke for 15 years, became star of the number one broadcast drama on television and a household name.
There is one aspect of life that is rarely discussed, seldom talked about, almost never acknowledged, and that is fear of success. It's different from fear of failure. Fear of failure means you punish yourself every time you experience a setback. It can become so self-defeating that you give up on your dream. But fear of success is different. It's an overwhelming fear of the consequences of success. It's not that you think you can't succeed, but rather you become afraid of what success will mean or the price it will exact. Maybe you don't feel worthy of success. Maybe you're an introvert who is afraid of the spotlight. Maybe you're afraid of achieving success and living up to high expectations. Maybe you're afraid of putting yourself out there and becoming a target for criticism. So, you stall just enough to let an opportunity pass. Or you self-sabotage by throwing obstacles in your own path. In her book, Chrissy Metz says that if your initial response when you think of your dream is, I'm too scared of what might happen, it not only means you're afraid to fail, it means you're afraid of success. Metz admits to putting up her own roadblocks. She felt that if she held back, if she didn't try, she couldn't fail. So she took a job helping other people achieve their goals. She delayed her dreams by burying herself in other people's ambitions. And because of her body type, the demeaning comments from her stepfather, and the humiliating auditions she went to, she no doubt felt unworthy of success. But then Chrissy Metz had that epiphany. She realized she'd been telling herself over and over again that she was going to have a limited life. She was undermining her own success. But so many boundaries and limits in life are artificial. They're just an illusion. So Chrissy Metz kept auditioning. She was 35 years old with 81 cents in the bank the day Dan Fogelman called. There was a huge role out there for Chrissy Metz. If she had listened to her fears, if she had kept inventing speed bumps, if she kept postponing her success, if she had not come to terms with herself by saying, this is me, she would have never been ready for the opportunity that was This Is Us. Never, ever give up. Chrissy Metz, Emmy nominations, one. Golden Globe nominations, two. Screen Actors Guild Awards, two. Number one New York Times bestselling author, This Is Me. The truth is, I'm strong. And the things I've been through have made me tough as hell. Kate Pearson. The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in our Airstream mobile recording studio. This series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. We regret to inform you, our director is Callie O'Reilly. Engineer, Jeff Devine. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. The major source for this episode is This Is Me 
by Chrissy Metz with Kevin Carr O'Leary. Other significant sources are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. Follow us on social at apostrophepod. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like Rejecting Lisa Kudrow from Season 1. Rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. And while you're there, let us know of any rejection stories you'd like to hear. This series is executive produced by cover song enthusiast Terry O'Reilly. See you next time. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.